1: Welcome back, Broncos Country. It's been a long off season and we're finally here the first week of the regular season for your Denver Broncos. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to Orange Weekly Podcast. Uh, this year we've gotten a little bit bigger and we're opening up to a little bit more things. so make sure you guys are watching us on Facebook live, all of our Facebook videos as well as our post game podcast brought to you by Tanner. As always, my name is Jared, and I am joined today by one of my co-hosts. His name is Raymond. He's out in Fort Collins, Colorado currently, and he will be joining us for a lot of our Facebook Live videos and the podcast. So without further ado, Raymond, how are you doing today, man?
0: Hey, man. Jared, thanks so much for having me on today, man. It's been a pleasure to be a part of the Orange Weekly team, and I'm happy to jump on the podcast with you. And Hey, Preseason's over. It's time to get rocking and rolling. We got Week One coming up here, in just a few days. So excited!
1: Oh yeah! Finally, after all the offseason, all the all the worries and the trades and everything going on, we finally get to talk football and get to talk X's and O's. For those of you joining us for the first time, the Orange Weekly pre-podcast talks about the pre-game. We're going to bring you all about what the coaches are thinking inside the minds of the coaches and the players and how they're preparing for the upcoming game to get you prepared for Sunday. So without further ado, we're going to bring it in with the mad fanatic. All right, here we go straight into week one, and we get to bring on the Seattle Seahawks, who uh, I know you remember, Raymond, not a lot of Broncos fans are huge fans of after that Super Bowl that everybody drank to forget. Uh, what, what are you looking forward to before we get into uh, the, the down deep of it? What are you looking forward to most of this week one game?
0: Right. And, you know, so, you know, a lot of Bronco fans, especially our older crowd, will remember that the Seattle Seahawks and the Broncos used to share the same division. So there's a lot of, a lot of bad blood between the Seahawks and the Broncos. But for most of us, it's that, it's that Super Bowl loss. Um, for me, I'm just excited to see the, the Broncos' new, new tool to offense get out, play on the field, get a full four quarters with Case Keenum at the head. And so I'm just excited to see what this offense can do against, you know, which is historically a pretty good defense under Pete Carroll.
1: Absolutely, yeah. This this whole uh, coaching the coaching staff under Pete Carroll has been with him for a long time, uh, and it, it'll be interesting to see how this goes. So, so we're going to go start right off the bat. You mentioned under Case Keenum and the new offense. Something I wanted to bring up, and I know that we could talk about, is that uh, Mike McCoy was fired halfway through the season last year, and Bill Musgrave's took over, who is the former offensive coordinator for that uh, Derek Carr. Oakland Raiders team in 2015-2016 where he had Pro Bowl years and and Bill Musgraves didn't really get to use his own offense I mean he was using the Mike McCoy offense and now he's coming in with a brand new slate got rid of almost the entire 2017 offensive class and is is starting over so where do you see Bill Musgraves offense going and how do you think that's going to compare to that Oakland offense that we saw in 2015-2016?
0: Well, you know, Musgrave, he brings an interesting element. You know, I think the one thing that was, you know, McCoy's sort of shortcoming is it was McCoy's system or the highway. And, you know, the lack of a quarterback leadership in our room last year, you know, it, was, it made it difficult. Now that we have a competent quarterback in Case Keenum, the one thing I'm really excited about is Musgrave. He really plays to the strength of the quarterback. Carr had his two best seasons under Musgrave. And so I'm excited to see what that blend does, um, what it brings out the strengths in Keenum. You know, Keenum is a guy who's patient in the pocket but does he works his checks downs really well he's always involving his running backs and his tight end so I'm really excited to see what that looks like but I would say that off the top the biggest difference between the McCoy system and the Musgrave system is it's the Musgrave system will kind of fit to the skill set of the quarterback in the offense and that's that's really exciting
1: Absolutely. Add that on to the whole fact that we got rid of our entire running back core, basically. I mean, we still have Devontae Booker, but now we have Royce Freeman coming in there. So our offense has a brand new look outside of our receivers and some of our line. Uh, It's going to be good. So we brought up—we like to bring up a lot of stats here on the podcast. Unfortunately, since it's week one, we don't have any stats for this season. But we we talked about that Derek Carr— Uh, 2015-2016 Raiders he threw for almost a combined 8,000 yards in two seasons and uh, 40 touchdowns in those two years and he brought the Oakland Raiders to their first playoffs since the 2002 season it's interesting to think about when you're talking about a a coach like Bill Musgraves who brought a quarterback like Derek Carr to that level and he hasn't done anything since so it'll be interesting to see what he does this year you're 100% correct. On the other side, we're going to go ahead and talk about the defensive coordinator. And, and we'll get to Coach uh, Pete Carroll uh, here in a little bit. But we're going to talk about the defensive coordinator. So Pete Carroll had brought over two brand new—an off an offensive coordinator and a brand new defensive coordinator. And his defensive coordinator is Ken Norton Jr., who, as we're talking about Bill Musgraves, was the D.C., the defensive coordinator for Oakland under that Jack Del Rio 2015-2016 so they they shared a field together for two years, and they practiced against each other every day for two years. How do you see that coming in and break playing into Sunday's game?
0: You know, I think one thing that's really interesting is that, you know, whenever you, you're playing against a former coach or a coach that you know very well, is you can kind of pick up on some tendencies. Now, I would say that most – sort of coordinator most coaches though will play to the strength of their players and so you know we'll see Pete Carroll and, and those Seattle Seahawks they've had a huge turnover on the defensive side you know it looked like they were just losing players left and right this year so it'll be interesting to see what Norton has in store for that defense this year but it's helpful you know Musgrave might have a sense of what Norton likes to call uh, as far as you know third and long situations or third and short situations and so that does give a little bit of an advantage Um, it probably goes in sort of both ways in that sense the other part is is they both worked under the tutelage of Jack Del Rio, who of course spent a lot of time with the Broncos. And so there's a lot of parallels in this game that really, really make some of those coaching dynamics interesting.
1: Yeah, that's, that's absolutely uh, what we look forward to the most, too, is how these intertwine, how all these coaches intertwine uh, throughout the years and, and where they are. A little bit of background on, on Ken Norton as well. He was uh, the USC Linebackers coach with Pete Carroll from 2004 to 2009. Uh, then he was the Linebackers coach in Seattle when Carroll moved in, in 2010 to 2015. So he was part of that defense, that stouted defense that took us out in the Super Bowl. So it's not like Pete Carroll is bringing in some random defensive coordinator off, off the street. I mean, th- this guy, Ken Norton, has been with Pete Carroll for many, many years. So it- it'll be interesting to see, like you said, with the whole personnel change, uh, how, what he does with his new defense. So we're going to go ahead and move on from defense coordinator now over to the offensive coordinator. Just a little bit about Brian Schottenheimer. For those old school Bronco fans, those ones that have been with the Broncos for the longest time, I'm sure you guys remember him as the son of Coach Marty Schottenheimer, who was the San Diego and Kansas City uh, head coach for a a long time back in the uh, 90s, so... Brian Schottenheimer, he's coming with the Seattle. This is also his first year with Seattle. He has a little bit of experience back in 2006, 2012. He was the OC for the New York Jets, 2012, 2015 for the then St. Louis Rams, and most recently, just this last year, he was the quarterback coach for Andrew Luck out in Indianapolis. What do you expect, seeing from Brian Schottenheimer as an offensive coordinator, not really having any offensive coordinator experience in the NFL since 2015, what do you expect him for him to do with the player personnel that he has?
0: Well, you know, when we think about coaches, it's it's we never are worried about coaches in their first time. You know, most coaches fail in their first time in any sort of position. And we've seen Schottenheimer have a couple of shots at the offensive coordinator position. And so, you know, I think when you come back on your second or your third time, hopefully Schottenheimer has learned quite a bit. I, you know, coming from a legendary coaching family and having a lar- couple of long stints in the um, NFL, I think is going to lead him well. Um, I think he's going to end up in a pretty good space. I mean, he's got... He's got Russell Wilson. He's in pretty good shape. You know, many, many (laughs) pros say, you know, Russell Wilson is going to be, you know, he's a top five quarterback in the league and a potential, you know, first round ballot Hall of Famer down the line. So I think Schottenheimer is going to really weigh his skills. Having some Andrew Luck experience under his belt, I think is going to help maybe sort of Coach Russell Wilson. I know coach Russell Wilson, you know, initially was a run first quarterback. You know, I think now he's settled in. He's starting to become a pass first quarterback and he's got a dynamic skill set. so I'm sure Schottenheimer is just, you know, licking his chumps to be able to work with somebody as dynamic as Russell Wilson.
1: Absolutely. I mean he and he's been Russell Wilson's been in the league for a few years now and, and consistently he's he's been, you know, ups and downs of the of the season. He's been a decent quarterback and he's been he's been able to produce no matter who he has to throw to. So that'll be interesting to see him coming in. I I agree 100%. And the last person we want to mention on that uh, Pete uh, Carroll-driven Seattle Seahawks is uh, someone that, Raymond, I'm sure uh, you'll be proud of here, is uh, Brian Schneider is our special teams coordinator. He was actually born in Arvada, uh, and he was the uh, Colorado State he, three years. He was at Colorado State as a linebacker for the Rams between 90 and 93. And then he was a, a special teams coordinator from 1994 to 2002. He was special teams coordinator there uh, in Fort Collins at Colorado State.
0: Yeah, no, the only thing I can think of right off the bat, of course, go Rams there. But Brian, you know, he's been with the team since 2010. And so you, we're, we're talking about an eight or nine year span as a special teams coordinator. And that's an unbelievable amount of time to be a coordinator. So it tells you that he's he's good at his job and that he's he's maintained a high level of, of you know, consistency with that Seattle team. And so that's something that the Broncos haven't had in a while, some consistency on the special teams side of the ball. Hopefully that'll change this year. But I expect the Seattle Seahawks to have a solid special teams, uh, as they always do.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It, it's it's worth mentioning that he's been with Pete Carroll since 2010, especially since this last year they had a whole turnover of offensive and defensive coordinator. It's it's always a show of confidence from a head coach when you have somebody that you're you're going to keep over when you're turning over basically the rest of your your staff. So you're right. It'll be interesting to see, and it's I'm you know happy for him for sure. So we're going to go ahead and jump over to what you, Broncos country, want to hear. And we're going to jump over to the Broncos side of the ball and give you a little bit of an idea of what our coaching staff might be thinking about going into this game. So obviously we talked about Bill Musgraves and his new offense and going into uh, against a, maybe a suspect, I'd say, uh, at best with every, like we mentioned earlier, they, they gutted a lot of their defense and especially them being, you know, used to being the Legion of Boom. Um, what are we expecting from the Broncos In Bill Musgraves, what kind of packages do we think we're going to throw at this unknown Seattle defense?
0: Well, you know, that's part of it, right? It looks like the Seattle defense is going to be playing a couple of names that you've probably never even heard of on the defensive side of the ball. And so, you know, losing their – They're big, uh, strong safety. You know, they still have uh, Wagner right in the middle of their, um, you know, linebacking core. But they're going to be playing a rookie on the weak side linebacker side. And so, you know, it looks like Shaquem Griffin, you know, the uh, the star-studded, you know, one-handed phenom from UCF, is going to be getting the start because Kendall Wright is going to be injured for the first game. And so, having some rookies out on the defensive side just means it's time to mix it up, right? That's the time when we give them some different looks, some looks that they've never seen. And so, I I fully expect the offense from the Denver Broncos to come out locked and loaded that first week to just come, you know, guns a-blazing with every package, every look, every scheme, every sort of disguise that they possibly can. When you have a youth, you know, young, inexperienced defense that you're going up again, especially in week one, that's the time to take advantage
1: absolutely yeah especially since you're looking at this defense and and i i don't mention i don't recognize a lot of these names you see you know some of these guys in here like like you said Griffin's getting the start which is huge for him and a lot of these guys that are getting the starts were not with either not with the team last year or we're not starting last year so i think you're right i think we're going to we're going to run the ball and and We'll mention this a little bit later, but with Royce Freeman getting the start, obviously Hooker's going to be getting some touches and stuff. We're going to run the ball and, and make sure that we get to the outside the numbers. Because their inside tackles are pretty stout, we're going to try to get outside the numbers and, and just, just run it down their throat. But I, I agree. I think they're going to go, especially that first drive, just try to slam it down their throats. So now we're going to switch over to the other side and talk about our defense. So the Denver Bronco defense is something that the, the media is very critical of, and, and losing... Akeem Tlaib and, you know, picking up Suha Cravens and now he's on the the IR and picking up Adam Pacman-Jones, who's, you know, been in the league for a few years. Everyone's asking if he still has it in him or if he brings the wrong attitude. Anyways, what are you expecting from this Denver Broncos defense going up against an always pretty stout offense under Pete Carroll with Russell Wilson at the helm?
0: yeah whenever you have a top 5 quarterback in the league like Russell Wilson you're always going to be in every game the offense is always going to be productive and so that's something that's a little bit concerning this will be the first time in at least recent memory probably in the last 5 or 6 years that on the Broncos defense the cornerback position is probably the thinnest position that we have on the team and so of course we have our star studded defensive line we have our outside edge rushers and our and our safety team is actually probably one of the deepest in the league but Outside of you know Chris Harris Jr., Bradley Roby, you know who spent a lot of time as the nickelback and played forty or fifty percent of the snaps this year, last year, he's still a little bit you know untested. He's going to be in the he's going to be guarding the number one quite a bit because Harris loves to go into the slot. And you know who do we have after that? We have Tremaine Brock, of course. We have Adam Pacman Jones. Who knows what he has left? And then we have a basically a rookie in in, in Yadam. And so um, that'll be the interesting part. Russell Wilson is a elite level. Seasoned quarterback. He will always make sure that his team is in the right position. And as soon as we get that third cornerback on the field, I think that that's when I'm going to start to get a little bit concerned. How is Russell Wilson going to manipulate Brock or Pac Man Jones to make sure that they're on their game? You know, I feel strong about our first and our secondary, but our first our first and second string cornerback. But man, that third string quarterback spends about 40 or 50% of the time on the field. And I'm sure Russell Wilson will know exactly where they're at every every single play, and he'll probably manipulate that all game long.
1: Absolutely, and it's interesting to mention, too, that that third receiver that might may be playing slot, I don't know if they're going to put him out at wide receiver slot, is the former Bronco and then Bear and uh, whatnot, uh, Brandon Marshall. I'm not sure if anybody knew that Brandon Marshall's is uh, a Seattle Seahawk. He, he overwent an uh, ankle surgery over the offseason, so he's, he's about halfway. They were worried about him not making the 53-man roster, but it looks like he does have that, that number three wide receiver spot hooked up so it'll be interesting to see him come back to Denver you know after being gone for so long and like you said we have a very less than stellar the third corner and uh, the free safety is going to have to overlook a lot of that so it'll be interesting to see how that match out plays up all right, so we talked about our offense and defense. We talked about the Seattle offense and defense and their coaches. Uh, let's talk about key players that we wanted to keep an eye out. I know we mentioned Russell Wilson for, this, for the Seahawks, but who needs to have a big game for the Broncos to prove that they earn that starting spot? Uh, we're talking names like, you know, Bradley Chubbs got his first start as a rookie. We have Royce Freeman getting his first start as a rookie. Are you worried more worried about the rookies or are you more worried about some of these veteran guys that have been a little bit sketchy in the last couple of years?
0: You know, that's a, that's a great question. You know, Bradley Chubb is, is an interesting one. You know, we got the first round touted number – many say the number one talent in this year's draft. And so people are always asking, you know, why did Bradley Chubb get the start over Shane Ray or Shaq Barrett? Well, I think Bradley Chubb has got the start because he's a little bit of a bigger body, and he's able to be a little bit more stout in the run defense. And so, you know, my, my question to Bradley Chubb is, is is will you stay disciplined? You know, Russell Wilson knows we have a rookie on the edge. Russell Wilson loves – he can he's able to run that run pass option type of – of of system and so will they manipulate bradley chubb that a lot of a lot of the game will be dictated on whether or not bradley chubb is disciplined patient and and can make some plays on the defensive side of the ball once again coming back to my last point you know my question really i think is what i'll be watching closely more than anything will be that third cornerbacks you know position and so you know when we caught when we talk about base personnel a lot of times we think about you know, two cornerback personnel. That's what we consider to be base personnel. But really in the league today, offenses are always – their base personnel is generally three wide receivers and one running back. And so that means that the third cornerback is on the field 40 or 50 or 60 percent of the game. And so the question is, is what do we got in Tremaine Brock? How much will we see Pac-Man Jones – and so, how do, how do those dynamics play out? And so, you know, for me, I'm more intrigued about some of those matchups on the defensive side. Um, I'm sure we'll get a chance to talk a little bit more about Rolls Royce and what the offense might look like. But ultimately, you know, we got to stop the ball. We got to stop the ball from getting into the end zone. And, and an elite level quarterback like Russell Wilson, that's the biggest start on the Seahawks. And so, I'm just curious about how the Broncos are going to counter that.
1: Absolutely, Russell Wilson is one of those quarterbacks that that are a dime a dozen, and he knows exactly what he's doing. He has the the football intelligence is very high there. So you're right; he's going to find those, and he's gonna he's going to try to pick them apart. So you're right. I think I think seeing a who plays at that third corners position, or if they're going to try to keep the strong safety, and we have we still have Darian Stewart, but uh, right. is he going to be there for the run stop, or is he going to be trying to play? D- D, a little bit of DB that that'll be interesting to watch uh, going into it. So on the defensive side, right now the only rookie that we have starting is Bradley Chubb. On the offensive side, the only rookie we have starting is Royce Freeman. However, that being said, just like you said, in today's league, we're not just talking about two receiver sets. Like you said, a base a base for old school base offense. You know, we have one tight end, two receivers, a running back, a fullback, whatever the case is. Uh, but but nowadays in the league, you, always, you almost always go out there with a three, three receiver set, sometimes three receivers and a tight end. Uh, it, it depends on what you're at. So we have Cortland Sutton, uh, who everybody's looking forward to seeing, and we have uh, uh, Deshaun Hamilton, who everybody's looking forward to seeing this year, both as the number two receivers behind Damaris Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders. Well, which one of those do you think are you looking forward to seeing get out there and really make a difference in this game?
0: Yeah, totally. So, you know, Deshaun Hamilton is probably the one that we will see a little bit more of an impact on early on, only because Deshaun Hamilton is a slot receiver. You know, he is a receiver that's used to being close and tucked into the line of scrimmage, doing those short intermediate routes, going across the middle and doing some of those things. He's a small, shifty type of guy. Now... in the preseason, we've seen quite a bit of work from Emmanuel Sanders in that slot position, and so it'll all kind of depend on how much work Emmanuel Sanders is spending in that slot. Is he spending 40% of his time? Is he spending 60% of his time in that slot position? That'll sort of dictate Deshaun Hamilton's workload. Cortland Sutton is a big body, you know, a Des Bryant, Julio Jones type of receiver, and so – Cortland Sutton is an outside, mono a mono, our best receiver versus your best cornerback type of receiver, mismatched type of receiver that we'll always see on the edge. He generally will be split out to the single side, not to the strong side or the double receiver side. And so I imagine Cortland Sutton probably will probably not have as big of an impact early on, although I wouldn't be surprised to see Cortland Sutton – You know, having an eight to 10 touchdown year just because he is such a big body. He will probably have the bigger, better career out of the two. Although, just based on the way that the positions work out and the fact that we already have Demarius Thomas, who is that big number one type of receiver body. And so um, I think we'll see a little bit more work out of Hamilton out of the slot and then ultimately Cortland Sutton out on the edge for those mismatches. We'll see a lot of Cortland Sutton in the red zone. I tell you that right now. Last year we had zero red (laughs) zone threat. Cortland Sutton's going to catch couple of touchdown balls, couple of those back shoulder fades in the red zone, that's going to happen. I wouldn't be surprised to see that early in the season, you know, starting week one or week two.
1: Absolutely. And you brought up a good point that I want to bring up too, is that we saw Emmanuel Sanders playing in that slot sometimes. So, so in all honesty, sometimes our starting offense might include Demarius Thomas, Cortland Sutton on the outside and Emmanuel Sanders coming out of that slot. Mm -hmm. But in, in last year, we did have you know, Thomas and Sanders on the outside, and we'll probably, you're right, we'll probably see Deshaun Hamilton on in the inside. That does bring up a good base offense that Bill Musgraves can play around with and he can he can find the mismatches the same way that any other team can you know if you put Emmanuel Sanders on the inside against a team like we have where we don't know who that third corner is going to be that might be that mismatch of the century that we really want so it, right. it gives him a lot of leeway and a lot of play going into this season so I, I think that's kind of interesting to watch that, that'll be fun to watch for sure
0: right and one thing to keep in mind is that the Talibs and the Richard Shermans of the world, those guys don't like playing in the slot. So the fact that Chris Harris Jr. is kind of a unique breed of a cornerback. he is a top-tier, top-five, top-ten quarterback in the league that loves playing in the slot. And so the fact that we oh, can yeah. put Emmanuel Sanders in the slot would automatically dictate that Emmanuel Sanders is probably being guarded by the cornerback two on their team. And so I will take Emmanuel Sanders against any team's cornerback two just about any day of the week. And so that's that's part of that, that game that Musgrave is going to play, right? How do we get Emmanuel Sanders maybe, you know, paired up against their number two or number three guy. Or if, if Emmanuel Sanders is having a good enough game and they decide to bring down their number one quarterback on Emmanuel Sanders, I will take DT or Cortland Sun on anybody's two or three quarterback <laughs> any day of the week. And so I think those three toys, Emmanuel Sutton and DT, is going to be a lot of fun for Musgrave. And he can schematically place those receivers in places to get the mismatch that he wants.
1: Yeah, and I think that's going to be it. I think that's him going into this game. That's what he's going to try to find is is in different offensive sets, where do they line up their guys? And we just got to find out where that mismatch is. So that's going to be – that's definitely one of the fun things that as an offensive coordinator you get to do. Uh, one other thing we wanted to mention, we want to talk about rules Royce and Devontae Booker. So uh, earlier today, uh, re- recording this here on Monday, earlier today they mentioned that uh, Royce was going to get – Royce Freeman was going to get the start over Devontae Booker. Uh, that's kind of one of those things like at that point, it's kind of already a two running back set. Is it really worth saying one's going to get the start over the other? Do you think that Freeman is going to get that many more touches over Booker? Are we trying to say that Freeman's our three down back or are we just trying to say he's just going to start that first drive and they'll alternate him as a two down back set? Which, which one do you think they're going to go for?
0: You know, it's interesting. I, you know, I think you know Van Joseph's comments today were that they were going to sort of go with the hot hand. Still, they gave Rolls Freeman the the Rolls Royce. You know, Mister Freeman the the start. You know, I think a lot of Broncos fans are just fed up and frustrated with Devontae Booker. We're sort of over it, right? I think I think the statistic is, and and I think this is pretty pretty close to accurate. So I think Booker has two hundred and fifty NFL carries. And does not have a single rush of over 20 yards. Let me say that one more time. In 250 NFL carries, he has not broken a 20-yard run once. And so, you know, I think a lot of Broncos fans didn't even think Booker deserved to be in the second slot. I think they're going to try, you know, to, to their hand at who's got the hot hand. But, you know, just like a bad boyfriend or a bad girlfriend, I think Devontae Booker is going to dig his own grave. He tends to not be able to make guys miss in the backfield. I think what we're going to see is Royce is going to become the clear, clear number one back. And then, you know, hey, don't rest on Philip Lindsay. He has shown the versatility, the, the, the ability to catch the ball out of the backfield, the ability to pick up blitzes. You know, I wouldn't be surprised to see – if Booker and Lindsay actually share about the same number of carries and Royce Freeman has about a two to one or three to one ratio over those guys.
1: Absolutely. And what I'm excited to see from Philip Lindsay is if they throw him in, obviously Royce Freeman's great out of the backfield in the passing situation, but I want to see Philip Lindsay out of the backfield in the passing situations. I was reading a little bit earlier about Lindsay's story and uh, how amazing it is. He's always been the underdog his entire career and I love rooting for the underdog. So the fact that he not only made the 53 man roster, but made it so soon that they they sat him out of the last... Uh, Preseason game really shows the confidence that they have that Philip Lindsay can be that guy for the team. So, absolutely, something that you guys had actually mentioned. I know that you were on the the live broadcast, our Facebook live broadcast uh, on last week, and you guys were mentioning that Devontae Booker might actually be, as he obviously is one of our starting running backs and is still a decent running back. I think you guys were mentioning a little bit maybe he might be a little bit of a trade bait. I think that you know, we keep him for a little while. We might be able to trade him, trade him off at a, at a better state than, you know, we would get by cutting him. Do you think that we could get something good for Devontae Booker with the stat you just told us?
0: Yeah, you know, you know, teams try to do this all the time, right? It's just a little bit of, a um, you know, hey, look, here's our number one running back or they try to prop some guys up. You know, the only time that I think um, trades like this will work is if another team was really, really interested in Devontae Booker during the draft process. So oftentimes when you see these guys get traded, And you're thinking to yourself, how the heck did this guy get traded for a fourth-round draft pick or a fifth-round pick? Oftentimes he's getting traded to a team that already was really, really interested in him in the pre-draft process that maybe didn't get a chance to draft him. You know, some teams, they might think to themselves, oh, just wait till we get Booker into our system, in our developmental system, and we'll be able to do something with him. And so, like I said, I think, you know… Booker, he, I think the only reason that he's on the roster currently is he's the only running back with some experience. I mean, that's that's part of it, you know. Um, (laughs) You need a running back that can help break down film, that can help sort of showcase, you know, various looks and talk through things with those rookie running backs. But like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if we're talking game four, game five, and we're sitting down Jared to do this podcast, and we're saying Booker saw ten percent of the snaps. I wouldn't be surprised at all.
1: I'm with you 100. I think I think that's a pretty accurate statement and pretty accurate guess. So leeway, great leeway into the next next part of our show is where we kind of give a little bit of a guess on how do you think this game's going to turn out. Um, I, w- I want to hear a little bit more, not just the score, but I, w- I want you to hear what you got on how do you think that the scores are going to happen? How do you think that is it going to be a big special teams play that's going to break it all open or is it going to be one of those things where it's just going to be a boring game? You're going to watch a defensive battle. How do you think this game is going to play out and what is your prediction?
0: Sure. Yeah. So, you know, the the thing is, you know, the the Seahawks have Russell Wilson. You know, my guesstimation is that, you know, when we're talking about early in the season with an unproven defense, generally speaking, the, the advantage goes to the offense, especially when you have a new defense, of a lot, lots of new moving pieces. It's a little bit easier for offenses to disguise what they're doing than it is for defenses to disguise what they're doing. You know, when we're talking about, you know, the 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 Super Bowl winning Broncos, we're talking about a team that was together for three or four years under a veteran cor- a veteran coach like Wade. Wade Phillips. And so the reason why we were able to be so do- dominant on the defensive side is because we had experience behind us. And I don't expect the Seattle Seahawks to be dominant at all on the defensive side. Um, I think that the Broncos offense will look wonderful. They'll probably look better than they actually are against the Seattle Seahawks in this mm-hmm. very first game just because of the inexperience on the defensive side. Now, it's going to take a little bit of time for the Broncos offense to get their footing. This is a perfect game for them to get their footing, right, build some confidence. I wouldn't be surprised if I see if we see three or four touchdowns from the offense with a couple of field goals. You know, with on the flip side of all of that, so they have Russell Wilson, right? And if you got Russell Wilson, you're in every right. single game. You know, Russell Wilson on the Broncos roster today makes the Broncos a Super Bowl contending team and so um I don't think Russell Wilson is on a Super Bowl roster though however with the Seattle Seahawks and so you know I think Russell Wilson will probably make this the defense look silly at times I bet that it's a little bit of a higher scoring game than the defense would like and so I, I envision this game to be in a you know a 30 31 to 24 type of game Broncos win comfortably by about a touchdown or so um you do bring up an interesting point about the you know the special teams which we haven't dug into too much Jared um, I don't see the Broncos defense or the Broncos special team making any dramatic plays but I also don't see them making any stupid bonehead plays which was sort of the demise of several games last year and so I think we will almost hear nothing from the special teams which is probably the best news right you know hopefully right. we'll see Marquette King flip the field a couple of times with a couple of you know 60 plus yard punts and flip the field um, I'm hoping pac-man Jones I know pac man Jones Will catch every single punt, and so I think at that point in time, what we're going to do is we're going to really look back in the game, and we're probably not going to hear much from the special teams. We're going to think that Case Keenum looked amazing, but we're also going to have some thoughts about the defense because I bet the defense gives up a few more points than we like, just simply because we're going against Russell Wilson.
1: Yeah, I you're right. I think we should dive a little bit into that special teams, and and one of the quiet offseason signings that everybody was really excited for. I know. I know me and you were really excited for, and it was interesting to see and explosive to see in the preseason that he still has it, is Marquette King. And it's something that we haven't really had in the past. And field position is a big part of this football game, is of, of any football game. And having a guy like Marquette King who can flip the field, and, and it seems so easy for him just to flip the field like that, is is definitely a huge strength that we picked up in the offseason. Um, also on the roster that I'm looking at, and I'm not 100% sure, I'm going to have to fact check myself on this, but it looks like uh, Philip Lindsay is listed as our punt returner mm-hmm. and kick returning, starting punt returner, kick returner. So that'll be interesting. Yep. I mean, we, we talked about getting able to see him as a running back, but getting to see him as a punt returner, kick returner, especially after the Isaiah McKenzie issues that we had last year. It'll be interesting to see how Philip Lindsay, the rookie, comes in, because if he can make his, his, his debut as a punt returner, kick returner in this first game, that'll be huge for not only us, but for him as well, so that's something to look out for as well on the special teams.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, you know, the Marquette King is an interesting side. You know, the, the, the thing I love about the the NFL is you, you are a, a fan of your team, not of players necessarily, right? As soon as a guy leaves your team, you're like, oh, screw them, right? You know, as soon as Brock Osweiler <laughs> signed with another team, you're like, oh, to hell with Brock. You know, you know, he helped us win a Super Bowl. You know, every Bronco fan last year was like, to hell with Marquette King, right? He was doing <laughs> his stupid pony dance, getting, you know, 15-yard penalties. It's been nice to see Marquette King on the team because – Once again, to be able to flip the field and put our defense in front of him, that's awesome. I will just pump the brakes just a second on Marquette King, though. He has been underwhelming in the preseason up to this point in time, and so I'll be interested to see what version of Marquette King we have. Random, I think, I think, I think this is a correct quote. Jared, fact check me on this one. I'm pretty sure Marquette King is the only All-Pro from last year that's currently on the Broncos roster. So you know, of course, the All-Pros are the the number one player at each position. I think Marquette King was the o- is the only current bro- Bronco that was on the All-Pro list from the 1718th year. And so, I mean, he is the best punter at his position. He just has been a little bit underwhelming in the preseason. But if we can get the Marquette King of old, and we're seeing 60-yard booming punts, where he's punting from one. One twenty to the other twenty, flipping the field. I think that's going to do tremendous wonders for our Broncos defense, and of course, ultimately our 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 pass rush. Von Miller, you know, seeing him do his sack dances, and I, I'm just looking forward to all of that. Um, I think you're right on. You know, Philip Lindsay is going to be returning. Uh, I think mainly the kickoffs. Um, I, I you know I think Pac-Man – I think we're going to see some Pac-Man Jones in the punt return game. Uh, the one thing is, I don't think we'll see Isaiah McKenzie week one. You know, I, yeah. a surprise. Surprises: is Isaiah McKenzie is on the 53-man roster. You know he was cut, but then he was re-added on um, after the Paxton Lynch cut, which was a huge surprise, I think, to me and a lot of Bronco Nation. I heard some reactions today. I think just a couple of those things. Like I said, I don't think the I don't think the special teams is going to be blow your socks off making huge plays like Trendon Holiday was, you know, five years ago. Right. But what I do think is that the the Broncos special team will be absent you we won't be talking about them on on next week's show because they they didn't they didn't fumble the ball for the second seventh time you know they didn't you know they didn't make huge mistakes and so that's i think if they could just be you know not in the news i think that'll be good news
1: yeah sometimes yeah sometimes i was just about to say sometimes no news is good news especially when it comes to the special teams if they they take care of their job then they're then they're out of the news and i think that's what we need especially from a little bit of a change of pace from last year so absolutely just real quick, I wanted to mention about the IR list is that we had picked up Suha Cravens hoping that he was going to be our replacement, you know, for Aqib Tlaib and that that defensive list, that cornerless defense. And then he gets put on the IR. We put him on the IR list before we can even begin the regular season. That is one of two things. Do we either think that he can't perform at 100% so we had to put him on the IR And or do we have that much faith that he's going to stay with the Broncos that long that we're looking into a long-term investment by sitting him out, letting him get that surgery, and coming back as a stronger player?
0: Awesome. Yeah, I mean, that's a great question, Jared. I think if if you're a diehard Broncos fan and you've been watching the team closely for the last three or four years, there has been two things that have been just killing the Broncos defense every single game. And that's been running backs and tight ends catching the ball. We have been unable, even though we've had the no fly zone, you know, top, you know, historic defense. What we've seen is that running backs and tight ends have just been able to sort of do whatever they want to, do at will what they'd like to in the um, against our defense, and that that comes down to oftentimes in those matchup scenarios, that oftentimes comes down to a linebacker responsibility or a safety responsibility to pick up those guys, and so Suwak Cravens was sort of our go-to fix it all, you know, our sort of our duct tape, if you will, to the tight end position, you know looking back through the preseason, you know, Sue Cravings, you know, he didn't play very much throughout the preseason. He did play in the fourth preseason game. Um, He looked great, but what I'm guessing has happened is he probably, after that fourth preseason game, his knee didn't quite respond the way that um, they were hoping it would respond, and I believe Sue Cravings is scheduled for either a knee scope or some sort of a minor knee operation in the next day or two, and so I think that's part of the reason why he's ending up on the injured reserve list. Um, That does mean he's on the IR list. That means that we can bring him back eight games into the season. Um, Sue Cravings is in his third NFL season. He's a young guy. He's had some concussion issues. He's had some knee issues. But the Broncos have had such bad luck, some terrible mismatches against um, tight ends and running backs out of the backfield. That having a big, agile body like Sua Cravens really will bode well for the team. Hopefully, we're down the point. We play KC, of course. You know, we also play against the Raiders down the stretch there. And so, you know, being able to have Sua Cravens back, you know, Casey would be. He'd actually miss both KC games, but having him back for the Raiders and having him back for both Charger games will be huge to be, just give at least some sort of response to some of those big tight ends that we'll be facing down the stretch.
1: Well, absolutely, and I think he brings a little bit of a leadership aspect to it too. And I think, I, I think going back on my on my original statement, I think it is a big show of confidence. From the Broncos saying, hey, this is going to be our long-term guy and we're going to invest in him. We're going to get him the surgery so that he comes back 100%. We're not just going to try to play him because we need to fill that spot. On something that you mentioned, I remember where I was and what game it was. I remember the Atlanta Falcons game two years ago when mm-hmm. they Matt Ryan threw to Freeman over and over. And I, I mean... I. Looking at him straight, straight looking at him, like not even trying to look off. Like they just knew that they had the mismatch on that running back position against anybody, and and we kept putting out linebackers on him. We tried to put out a safety on him. We just couldn't do it. Um, So you're right, and and it's something that we've been fighting the last two years, and and hopefully he brings that aspect to us. But uh, you know, hopefully he gets better. Hopefully he can have this. um, Hopefully he can have a a successful surgery and come back strong. uh, Eight games into the season. Absolutely. So we're going to switch modes a little bit from defense over to offense and talk about not rookie, but second year tight end Jake Butt and how much of an aspect he's been in the preseason. Uh, honestly, for me, I think he's been a little bit underwhelming in the preseason. I wish I could see a little bit more. And, you know, Jeff Warman, who, who's been with us for a couple of years now, um, definitely has that spot locked up. What do you think we're going to see? And is there going to be a tight end battle? Or are we going to see a couple two tight end sets or are we just going to see Jeff Warman take over that spot?
0: Well, you know it's 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 interesting, right? Butt Nation is what you know, you know Jake Butt <laughs> likes to call his his team of his team of fans. And so, um, one thing just to <laughs> not forget, you know, if we would have gone back, if Jake Butt never would have gotten hurt in the bowl game and never, you know, you know, had blew out his knee at that point, um, Jake Butt would have been a top forty-five, top fifty pick in the NFL draft. He would have not gone later than about the. S- Middle of the second round, and so Absolutely. that's interesting that we have a talent that is that good. You know, Jeff Hiraman, we've been hoping, is going to turn into this, you know, transcendent, you know, talent. And he's splashed a few times, right? He had the big game against Indy last year, and a few times through the preseason, he has splashed. But one thing that I keep hearing out of camp, which I think is quite interesting, and I think that bodes well for Jake Butt, is that Jake Butt is the best blocking tight end that we have on the roster, and so. Jake Butt, if he's the best blocking tight end on the roster, he's going to find his way onto the field, and if you can become a dual-purpose threat and you can start to catch the ball, which I know Jake Butt has a good set of hands on him, we've seen a couple of pretty decent catches in the preseason. You're right, Jared, ultimately a little bit underwhelming, but I'm not sure if that's a little bit from just the schematic use of our tight end at this point in time, but... I wouldn't be surprised to see Jake Butt take over that position. Now, Hireman, though, I think has the more upside from the offensive side, and so if he can show some splashes early on in the first few weeks and catch a couple of touchdown balls, I think he might be able to hold off Jake Butt a little bit longer and longer. But like I said, the fact that Jake Butt's our number one blocking tight end and has some of the skill sets that show him to be a pretty decent um, threat in the passing game, um, if Hireman just shows the sort of uh, you know vanilla. Ice screen that he showed the last few years in his game, um, we're gonna see Jake But I think start to take over that position um here pretty quickly.
1: I, I like I like Jake But. I, I think that you, you were right. I remember watching him in college and it was it was unreal how how much more athletic he was, and especially when you're looking at the tight end position, you have to be all around. You have to be a blocker, and a and it's interesting that you mentioned that they say he's one of the best blockers, because like you said, yeah. If you're the best blocker and you have a set of hands on you, that's that's exactly what you want in a tight end no matter where you are. So it, right. it'll be interesting going this through this is, season this is,
0: Yeah, this is Julius Thomas's de- demise, right? Julius Thomas, yeah. you know, probably the best tight end we've had in, in, in Bronco Nation for the last five years. It's Julius Thomas couldn't block couldn't anything. Block. I could rush the quarterback against Julius Thomas. So as soon as Julius Thomas got on the field, everybody knew it was a pass. Was a pass now, now, granted – Julius Thomas' two best years, he had you know one of the top five greatest quarterbacks of all time, and some would probably, Bronco fans would probably argue, you know, top one or two in Peyton Manning, and so Peyton Manning was able to cover up those blemishes for Julius Thomas, but that's, the you know, that's nice to have a, a, a tight end who is a blocker first and a really good pass catcher second.
1: Absolutely. Bronk
0: and, it, and Kels are good, good blockers, and that's what makes them so good in the passing game because you don't know what's happening.
1: Yeah, it, it's, it's interesting you mentioned that. I remember watching those games, and I remember seeing anytime Virgil Green came into the game for Julius Thomas, I remember being like, oh, it's a run. Like, right, <laughs> like you knew exactly. it was going to be a run as soon as they switched those two out, and then they switched them back out, and you're like, oh, this will be a pass. It, it wasn't hard to find out, but again, with, you know, a, a brilliant intelligence of Peyton Manning and, and one of the best quarterbacks uh, of all time, he, he definitely picked apart the defenses much easier than any other quarterback would, so he kind of got lucky in that case, but... Um, right. And he retired this year, too, so that's something worth mentioning.
0: Yeah, he did. Yep, nine, nine seasons later, he retired.
1: Nine seasons, yeah.
0: What might be interesting, I think, is that there's probably more coaching parallels, like, in this game. Like, there's a lot of coaches that already know each other, which is really yeah. interesting. And then you're going to see a completely retooled Broncos offense against a completely retooled Seattle defense. And so, I mean, th- those are kind of things that are interesting to me in this game.
1: Yeah, that's that's probably one of the the things I'm looking forward to the most is all at the beginning of the podcast we talked a lot about those offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, and how they all fit into, right. into scheme and, and how they work together and and uh, especially the fact that they work for the Raiders. You know, Ken Norton Jr. is defensive coordinator and Bill Musgrave is an offensive coordinator. Just just seeing how those two are going to react, how how they're going to play against each other, and especially it being the first game of the season. Don't be surprised, Broncos country, if if you see some cobwebs getting shook out i know that we have preseason games and that's what those are supposed to be for but there's going to be a few mistakes here and there let's not freak out let's not you know go asking for someone's head or booing somebody off the field because of that let's let's uh let's know that this is the first game there's going to be some cobwebs to be shooken out but i think this will be the game that sets the tone for the rest of the season and i think seattle is the perfect opponent to have for that going up against another team that is going to be kind of questionable going into this season and are retooled Bill Musgrave's offense, with a new quarterback and a new running back, is going to be uh, amazing, and we're going to see some really good things out of them going into this game. And it's going to get us excited for the rest of the season. All right, Wayman. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on. Uh, thank you so much for being here, and hopefully, we can get you on some more. Get you on some more of the podcast in the future.
0: Hey, appreciate it, Jared. It's always so much fun to talk Broncos. Broncos, and I hope you chime in September 9th, 225 to watch the brand new Broncos offense just whoop up on some Seattle Seahawks. I still have some bad taste in my mouth from that Super Bowl a few years ago. So I always <laughs> love just to beat a little bit of those Seahawks whenever we can. And so, Jared, I appreciate it. Um Orange Weekly, I appreciate it. Thanks, guys, for having me on.
1: Absolutely. And and you know, thanks for thanks for being a part of the team and then helping us out. And Like Raymond said, make sure you tune in on Sunday. Make sure you guys are watching all the Orange Weekly Lives on the Facebook. Uh, We have our Twitter, our Instagram, and the Facebook Live videos. Uh, We have another podcast done by Tanner. He does the post-game podcast, so look out for that on the Monday. And then make sure you guys tune in every week. Thanks again. We know you guys have a lot of choices in Broncos Podcasts, and we definitely appreciate you guys choose us. Uh, make sure you like, make sure you subscribe, and make sure you guys leave a review for us. It'll really help us out going forward. And as always, Broncos country, go Broncos. Orange, man. Orange, man. I'm orange, man.